So you can go ahead and be turning to Jeremiah chapter 30. And just as a quick recap, this is, this is now again part of our Through the Bible teaching that we've been going through for a long time. What we've seen in recent studies through Jeremiah is that God had sent Jeremiah to the people in the nation of Judah, where Jerusalem was capital. And uh, Jeremiah had been sent to warn the people to turn back from their sin, to return to God before judgment uh, was promised to fall. And of course, generation after generation, we saw the people refused to come back to God. They continued in their idol worship. And God did send King Nebuchadnezzar from the north, from up in Babylon, down south to Judah, invaded the land three times. We're now just after the second invasion that happened in 597. We're just a, a year or so after that point. And uh, the people have, many of the people, thousands of them now, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Ezekiel, who will be in next week. I don't know what I'm doing next week. I don't know why I say that. Um, but we'll be doing something next week. Ezekiel, I think. Um, so these people have been carried off. They're now captive up in Babylon. And this was, you can talk to any Jew, they will tell you, this was the darkest time in their history. The darkest time. God's people were ripped out of their beloved homeland, taken from their temple, forced to live in exile in a pagan land, and the worst part, knowing that their sin had put them there. That's the real zinger every time, isn't it, for us? You know, sometimes we, we, God disciplines us, and we just spend the whole time, well, if he hadn't done this, then I wouldn't be in this mess. And if she hadn't, you know, what really hits home is when, is when we finally get honest enough to say, I'm here because of me. I'm here because of my own sin. And so these God's people now, captive up in Babylon, knowing that it was their sin that had put them there, and year after year went by. They were there for 70 years. Year after year went by, and they wondered if God had abandoned them forever. This is where we are now as we come to Jeremiah chapter 30. Um, let's just face it, the, the first half of the book of Jeremiah has been pretty dark. It's been pretty depressing. Sin and judgment and idolatry and rebellion. It's been a very dark book. But now we come to chapter 30. And I'm so happy to say that in these chapters, 30 to 33, everything changes. The tone changes, the mood changes, the pace changes. And suddenly into this great darkness, a light shines, a light of hope that was so desperately needed. God sent word to his people that he had not forgotten them and he had not abandoned them at all. And what unfolds here in chapters 30 to 33, um, you know, it's interesting, scholars, I think the more scholarly they get, the dumber they get, um, they, they've tried to put fancy names and terms and labels onto this section of Scripture, onto what takes place here. I'll tell you what I describe it as. I describe it as an extraordinary display of the unending love of God. That's what this is. 
And if we can hear this message today, I, I just hope I won't get in the way of this message. If we can see and hear what's truly taking place here, if we can see the heart of God and not be filled with rejoicing and thanksgiving, then go ahead and call the undertaker because we are done. This today should be one of the greatest things we've ever heard in all of Scripture, right here, right here. God's people had rebelled against him for generations. But God says, my love for you is bigger than all your sin. There may be someone listening right now who needs to hear that. Maybe you're in a similar place. You've, you've turned away from God, you've rebelled against him, and now you're surrounded by the consequences of your own choices. And you're looking at your life going, man, how did I get here? What a mess I've made of things. I, I wonder if God even still loves me. I wonder if he's going to abandon me forever. Well, we'll only have time to read the highlights of these chapters. But as we hear God's message of hope today, I want you to try to imagine how life-giving these words must have sounded to the people in Jeremiah's day, living in captivity, living in darkness. How life-giving these words must have sounded. And then I want you to remember that that same God has the same love for you, wherever you are right now in your life. Well, I want to try to sum all of this up in four simple points this morning. Here's our first point. The promise of the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant. Now, what I'm going to do, I wrestled with this a lot, how to approach these four chapters, because they need to be taught together, um, but it's just too much material to try and, and cover. So, um, not for the sake of these chapters not being important, but for the sake of time, I encourage you to pursue this on your own if you're interested. But all I'm going to do today is kind of like a, a stone being skimmed across a pond. I'm just going to go through these four chapters very quickly now and just read to you, share with you some of the high points of what God says to these wayward, rebellious people. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 1. And by the way, um, I'll thank you in advance. This is still a lot of scripture we're going to hit here, okay? Um, as a very wise man told me when I was starting out, if you ever get up to preach and don't know what to say, just give them the word of God because that's the one thing you know is true. So I'm going to add some comments later, but right now we're going to spend a few minutes just hearing from God. I pray you'll listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Verse 10, Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob. Now he's speaking to the nation there, not one person. Nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, 
I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. There's that word seed again that we saw in Genesis 3.15. God's promised seed is still alive. Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. Chapter 31, verse 3. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt. Chapter 31, verses 8 and 9. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, you want to see? <clears throat> I'm not going to make it through this today. You want to see the love of God? He doesn't check people's resume and pick the brightest and best. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame. The woman with child and the one who labors with child. Together, a great throng, throng shall return from there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And now here, right in the middle here, here are the key verses that make up the heartbeat of everything God is saying here and what we're going to discuss this morning. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Chapter 32, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and their children after them. Verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly 
plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Jeremiah 33.3, this is a verse we hear all the time. I wonder if we've ever understood it in the context of what's going on here. God said to these wayward people in the midst of their darkness, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And finally, God adds this footnote to the end of these extraordinary promises. Chapter 33, verse 26, he said, For I will cause their captives to return, and I will have mercy on them. These uh, are among the greatest and most far-reaching promises in all of Scripture. This not only impacted and forever changed the lives of these people back then who heard these words, but this is one of those promises, one of those prophecies that was not only a short-term prophecy, but a long-term prophecy because these promises we've just heard affect our lives profoundly today. What God promised here, he called the new covenant. Now, the word covenant is not something we use. Probably no one has used that word at all just in casual conversation this week. But covenant was the most important thing in the Old Testament. It was the way that God related to his people through covenants, an agreement by both parties to uphold their end and to honor the other person by doing so. And now God has called this the new covenant. But I hope that we could think one step ahead and think, well, if God has promised a new covenant, then there must have been an old covenant at some point, which there was. But why was a new covenant necessary? This is so key for us to get. This is so key. This brings us to the second point, the need for the new covenant. We remember in our studies when God brought the people out of Egypt and led them to the promised land on the way at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with them. And this covenant was marked by all kinds of laws and commandments and sacrifices. And God said to the people, if you will keep my law, I will bless you and protect you and provide everything that you need if you will keep the covenant. And God said, if you don't, I will remove you from the land that I'm taking you to. It was very clear. It was very clear. All man had to do was uphold his end of the covenant, of the bargain, of the old law. The trouble is, sinful man simply could not live up to this holy covenant. In fact, the harder they tried, the more they became aware of their sin and their inability to ever measure up to God's standard. They would try harder to keep the covenant And they would walk away saying, man, I fell short again. The next day, they would try even harder to keep the covenant with all good intentions. And they would fall short and go, man, I failed again. And so this old covenant was, it was like a weight around their neck. It was a constant reminder to them that no amount of effort, no amount of good works could ever cleanse a person of their sin and save their soul. Hello, Roman Catholics. No amount of effort, no amount of good works can ever cleanse a person's sin and save their soul. 
This is so clear through Scripture. Two quick examples. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 reminds us, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, it's, it's the law, it's this old covenant that God put in place. These holy standards that God put in place, we look at those and we immediately go, wow, I am a sinner. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And so the old covenant itself made it abundantly clear that something better was desperately needed if mankind was ever going to find salvation from his sin. Something better was desperately needed. And the whole purpose of all of this was to point mankind forward to the saving work of the coming Messiah. That was the purpose of the law, to reveal man's sin to himself and to point him toward the coming Savior. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says this, Therefore, the law was our tutor. It means guardian or schoolmaster. The law was our teacher, our tutor, our guardian, our schoolmaster. For what purpose? To bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. This was the this was the point, the purpose, the ultimate purpose of the old covenant, the old law. God put this in place, and he said, in order for you to be righteous and holy as I am righteous and holy, you're going to have to meet my standard of righteousness and holiness. And he laid it out for them. He said, here it is. Now get busy. And God knew that man couldn't live up to this. He was showing them. You know, sometimes we have to, we have to see illustrations. We have to have things played out for us before we really start to get it. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I know. Fine, I'm a sinner. But then when, when, you, when you walk up to that, you know, one of those height charts, so to speak, and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm 6'3", but you walk up to God's height chart, of holiness and purity and righteousness and majesty, and you stand against that thing, you're like an ant standing outside the Empire State Building. There's no way. There's no way a human being can ever do enough good things to reach that standard, to reach that height. And so the law was always there, the Bible says. Paul writes a lot about this in the New Testament, how the law was always there, reminding mankind of their sin and saying, there's one coming who's going to provide a remedy for all this. How though, how and when exactly did this new covenant um, begin? Where did it begin? Well, this is our third point, the initiation of the new covenant. We remember, of course, the night before the cross when Jesus was in the upper room celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. The night before the cross. We have heard and read these words 
a thousand times. But I want to read these very familiar verses to you again, and I want us to listen with new ears based on what we've just heard from the Old Testament. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And he, Jesus, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Don't answer out loud, but have those two words ever stood out of those verses to you? We blow right past them. We're thinking about the bread. We're thinking about the wine. We're thinking about his blood, the sacrifice. We rarely pick up on these two words right here until we have a reason to. Now we have a reason to. Throughout the entire Old Testament, man was burdened by this old covenant, this old law, this weight around his neck. And then Christ came. And the night before he was going to lay down his life as a sacrifice for mankind, he said to his disciples, this cup represents the new covenant. The new covenant. I wonder how many of the disciples in that room, boy, they knew the Old Testament. I wonder if their minds shot back to the words of Jeremiah. Ezekiel also mentions this in his writings, the new covenant, the new covenant. I thought, oh, we've been hearing about this. Our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have been saying there's a new covenant coming. God promised through Jeremiah a new covenant. It's been 600 years Did I hear this right? The new covenant is here. You see, all those Old Testament sacrifices that were made year after year after year were never able to cleanse the people on the inside. It was was symbolic. All of it was symbolic. It was pointing forward to Christ, as I said, the one who would actually initiate the new covenant. How? How? By offering himself as the last sacrifice that would ever be needed for sin. Another fairly long passage of scripture, but this is so crucial to what we're talking about. These are hard verses for our modern ears to get hold of. I beg you to try, try. These are so important. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 to 15. See, Hebrews is one of the greatest books in the New Testament, but you will never understand Hebrews unless you understand the Old Testament. Never. It will never make sense. Now, with this brief flyover I've given of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, of the old sacrificial system, I want you to now hear Hebrews chapter 9. It's talking about the old way. This was symbolic. All that stuff they did was symbolic for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations. 
applying until when? Until the time of reformation. Verse 11, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. Verse 12, watch this. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. That's all the Old Testament law could do. Verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will that cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator, the initiator, the sustainer of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Wow! Now, if you just read Hebrews and you're just kind of blowing through those verses, you're like... What in the world am I reading? But against the backdrop of man's sin and his lost, hopeless condition and thousands of years of animal sacrifices and going through the rigmaroles and trying to live up to God's standard on their own. 600 years after God promised these things through Jeremiah, one shows up on the scene who goes to the cross on behalf of mankind and sheds his blood and is the only sinless sacrifice that will ever be needed for all the sins of mankind. It was Christ who made the old covenant obsolete forever. And he established a new and better covenant by offering himself as a perfect sinless sacrifice, and he signed that covenant in his own blood. There's, there's so much I'm itching to say about those verses in Hebrews. I, I encourage you just to read these again sometime on your own. Just read them and say, God, just burn this into my heart. Help me to understand what I'm reading here the magnitude of what I'm reading here. Well, what does all this mean? What, what does this have to do with us brilliant, intelligent, highly advanced, modern human beings living in 2024? Do we really need this stuff? What in the world? 
Yeah, so, you know, Phil, I get the short-term prophecy of what God said in these chapters in Jeremiah. He was going to bring his people back from bondage, back into the land that he had originally promised them. He was going to restore them to their land. I get that part. But you said there was a far-term prophecy wrapped up in that as well. There is. Sorry, I'm just feeling a little bit weak. Um, the far-term prophecy. This is something that you and I are beneficiaries of today. Don't miss this. We sometimes read this Old Testament stuff, and it just seems so dusty and distant and unrelated to, to, to our modern society. I mean, look at all the high-tech stuff. Look how smart we are. Look how advanced we are. Do we really need this Old Testament stuff? A dear friend of ours who we, we love so much, they've been a friend of ours for 40 years, and I, just, I, was, so, I was just dumbstruck by this. A, a couple years ago, we were having dinner, and, and she said, so Phil, what are you teaching on tomorrow? And I said, well, we're in the process of going through the Old Testament. And she's just one of these people who's just blatantly honest without really thinking about it. And she said, oh, I can't stand the Old Testament. I just don't understand it. My heart broke. This is one reason I wanted so much years ago to begin teaching you through the Bible and connecting the dots, trying to unravel some of the mysteries and and, and things that are tangled up in our minds. What God promised in Jeremiah chapters 30 to 34 to his people then was not made to us back then. But here's the beautiful part. Because of Christ, you and I who believe, non-Jews, non-Israelites, you and I have now been grafted in. We are now part of the family of God. And those future promises and prophecies God made back then now apply to us today. These promises are for us. It's all tied in to what Christ did on the cross. This is central to everything we believe. It's central to everything we teach. So how does this new covenant impact us? How does it benefit us? I want to, This fourth point I close with the blessings of the new covenant. The blessings of the new covenant. Are my points brilliant or what? Like, these are just... I never went to college, so I don't know. I don't know how to... I don't even know how to write a proper outline, actually. But the blessings of the new covenant. The Bible says that all those who repent and believe on Christ by faith are brought into this new covenant. And all who are in this new covenant become the recipients of the greatest blessings ever given. By the way, if if you've received Christ and you're still looking for something better, you're still looking for a better high, something more satisfying, you won't find it. In Christ, we are the recipients of the greatest blessings that have ever been given, all made possible by this new covenant that Christ put in place through his sacrifice. 
I want to wrap this up quickly by three, three quick subpoints under the blessings that are ours. First, we get a transformed nature. God said in Jeremiah 31, 33, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. This is no longer an external set of rules to follow. It is a transformation of our innermost being. God's desires become our desires. His ways become our ways. How is that possible though? Well, God said it like this in Ezekiel chapter 36. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Lower S, lowercase s. Isn't that interesting? I will put a new spirit within you. But he said, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then he said, I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You, you, you pat yourself on the back at night if you did pretty good for God today? Are we kidding ourselves? If you and I ever do anything for God, it is because the spirit that he has put into us, his spirit is the one giving us the desire and the power to carry that out. You and I are rotten to the core. We hate God at our core. This is beautiful. Ezekiel says, again, right at the same time as Jeremiah is saying all of these things, Ezekiel says to the people, he's speaking to the captives up in Babylon, as we'll see next week. Ezekiel says, a time is coming. God says, I'll write my laws on your hearts. I'll put them on your mind. I'll give you a new spirit in you, a new personality, a new makeup, a new desire. And I will put my spirit in you who will cause you to want to walk in my ways. This must have been mind-blowing to these people caught up in this system of external regulations. We must understand that through Christ, we've been made new on the inside. We've been given the Holy Spirit who has changed us and who empowers us to live godly lives. The old law didn't do that. The old law just stood on the outside and shouted commands, do this, do this, do this, and then it condemned you if you didn't do it. But this new covenant transforms you from within. Praise God. Transformed from within. Not only transformed nature, but secondly, a personal relationship with God is ours because of this new covenant. Again, Jeremiah 31, 33, God said, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Throughout the entire Old Testament, don't miss this, throughout the entire Old Testament, this is the yearning of God's heart, to be with his people. 
And when Christ died on the cross, well, let me back up a second. First, in the old system, we remember, we studied the tabernacle layout, all the furniture, all the stuff in the tabernacle. You get to the holy place, and then there's a curtain behind that, the holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the place where God's presence resided at that time. No one dared to come close to that curtain. Only once a year, only once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in trembling and shaking to offer sacrifice in the Holy of Holies for the sins of the people. Once a year. Now, when Christ died on the cross, that curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it opened the way for everyone to come into God's presence. Listen, God has gone to all these lengths so that he can be with us and we can be with him. He wants us to come into his presence. How often do we? Woo, God, I got a big emergency. I need you. I know it's been a while. The curtain is open. It's open now. He wants us to come in and be with him. Do you want to catch a glimpse of the ultimate fulfillment, by the way? There's a, there's a third leg to this prophecy, and that's a far distant prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled. We've experienced some of this new covenant, not all. Do you want to see the fulfillment of this? Right at the very end of your Bible, we see the ultimate fulfillment of this new covenant. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is where? With men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the heartbeat of God. That's why he went to all this trouble. That's why he's still pursuing you today, ma'am, sir, young person. He wants to be with you. How thankful we should be for this. We get a transformed nature. We get a personal relationship with God. And finally, the new covenant gives us complete forgiveness of sins. This is something the old covenant could never do. As we discussed a moment ago, all those sacrifices that were made were only a foreshadowing of the new covenant that was to come. I give you one more section in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. The law is only a shadow of the good things to come. This is the old law. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, it can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Boy, was there ever. Every time they had to bring an animal to sacrifice, it was a reminder, I'm still a sinner. I'm still unforgiven. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Jeremiah 31, 34. 
God said, for I, he made them this promise that must have, it must have cracked like a rifle shot in their ears. For them to hear this was unfathomable at that time in history. God said, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. I can't imagine living in those burdensome days and hearing this promise. I think I would have woken up every morning saying, oh Lord, is today the day you're going to do this? What an incredible promise this is. Because of the new covenant, because of God's love, because of his sacrifice, God will never remember your sins anymore. Oh, let's not get into silly theological debates. Can God forget? Let's not, let's not be silly on these things, okay? God is saying, I choose to never bring it up again. That's better than being able to forget them. You understand? Better. God says, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you are in Christ, if you are covered by this new covenant, I see you as having always been as righteous as my son because he gave you his righteousness. I'll never bring your sins up again. I mean, that's a mic drop moment. I can't drop this mic, but somebody should drop something and we should just walk out. Like, where do you go from there? All of that can be yours. Listen, but only if you are in Christ. Only. Coming to church will not do this for you. Dropping money in the box will not do this for you. By the way, we have an offering box back there. Somebody got on to me a while back about never talking about an offering. It's back there. If y'all want to all turn around and look, it's right, it's right there. <laughs> Giving money won't do it. it. It won't do it. These benefits can be yours today. If you are in Christ. If you are under this new covenant. Folks, these are the blessings of the new covenant. And God has made them all possible because of his great love for you. We should be blown away by this. His love is a love that is higher and deeper and wider and longer than all your sin. If you are in that new covenant today, rejoice. If you are not, come to him today. Church, as we sing a couple songs and go, go about our day, whatever you do today, I hope that a few moments along the way you'll pause and remember this and say, God, thank you. Thank you that your son came and did away with all that old. Thank you for the new covenant and for what it means to me. Let's pray. Father, I feel like anything I try to add right now would just be um, a waste of words. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you that while we were still sinners, just like those people 
held captive in Babylon. We were held captive by our sin. I thank you that while we were still sinners, your great love pursued us and showed us that we've not outrun your love. You've not abandoned us forever. You have, in fact, made a way. Oh, Lord, I pray every one of us who's been saved, who are recipients of the blessings of this new covenant, I pray, Lord, today we would rejoice in knowing this. I pray if there's anyone here who's never been saved, draw them by your spirit now. Pray they would call upon Christ for salvation, turn from their sin and invite him to be their Savior and Lord. We thank you for this beautiful, brief glimpse into your great word. Seal it to our hearts now, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. to see